Welcome to The Public Morality. Recently, Howard University, one of the nation's leading historically black institutions of higher learning, announced it was dissolving its classics program. University officials did state that a handful of classes taught within the division would be absorbed into other liberal arts departments. But the question this action raises, could Howard's decision be replicated by other colleges and universities? Moreover, is education in the classics still relevant in a world rapidly changing by the advent of technology? To discuss the role of classics, we welcome Professor Mary Pendergraft. Professor Pendergraft is chair of the Wake Forest University's Department of Classics. Professor Mary Pendergraft, welcome to The Public Morality. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Mm -hmm. Let's let's begin for this conversation. How do you define the classics? What are are we talking about? That's a really interesting question, and it is a vexed question in the profession these days. Is it the study of Greek and Roman literature? Is it Greek and Roman history? Is it the whole Mediterranean basin? And, uh, of course, the question, too, is how we approach it. Is it the standard uh, in which we all, for which we all stand in awe? Or is it uh, a culture that has influenced us uh, so irremediably uh, for good and ill that we need to take it very seriously? Hmm. Now... Are, are, are those the same as what is often referred to as a classical education? Are those can we commingle those? Or are those different? It, it's a vexed question, right? <laughs> that's a, a that's a classic answer. Um, <laughs> there's a growth recently in classical Christian schools, in particularly in elementary schools, particularly in homeschooling communities. And that does approach uh, the study of the ancient world in a different way than we do at the university in general, and certainly at Wake Forest. <laughs> that that uh, they even use the, the terms from the medieval uh, and early Renaissance curriculum, the trivium and the, the upper school and the quadrivium, the lower school. Staying with your, your 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 initial definition of how we define classics um, from your medium, what is the influence the classics as you define them have on other disciplines, whether it's history and philosophy? I mean, that is philosophy or political science or go, we, just, we can go right down the line. Astrology, just go right down the line. Um, well, it is uh, that's a good question. What does it have as influence? Talking about rhetoric and literature and philosophy, the, the uh, studies that grow out of the languages did grow out of a Roman culture in particular. Much of the beginnings of our science came out of Greek science. Of course, that's long been left behind. Uh, some of the the interesting paradoxes there is that the Greek science came back to Rome through Arabic, that uh, when they had the Greek originals of Galen, for instance, in some cases were lost, but uh, came, became accessible later through Arabic. 
Mm. So it's a more interesting story than it often seems. Mm. And, and, and because uh, classics bleed into so many other areas, um, uh, explain why it is still important to also have the classics as a standalone option of study. Partly because it uh, depends so heavily on mastery of the languages that uh, it's it's one thing for uh, to teach mythology, but it's another thing to be able to be really immersed in the text. Um, a, a sta- as a standalone field, it goes in a lot of different directions too, in a way that. Uh, someone who's trained in in a different uh, field might might classics may just be the adjunct for them as well rather than the, the real focus I, I believe it was um, Federalist 55 for where, where Madison says if every member of an Athenian assembly were a Socrates, the Athenian mob, the, the the Athenian assembly would still be a mob, and and, I, and I've always loved that uh, observation. Not only is it a critique about the the, the nature of factions and human behavior, mm-hmm. but it's also an indicator that it's impossible to have an appreciation for America's founding without some corresponding appreciation for the influence classics has on its formation. And I'll let you take it from there. Well, that that's absolutely true that the founders were absolutely uh, and self-consciously looking to Greece and Rome for models, um, looking to uh, Plutarch for, for models of leadership and behavior. Uh, what's happening now in the discipline is as their critiques of uh, contemporary society and particularly um, not just systematized racism, but the specific legacy of slavery, people are looking back and finding that that was true, of course, in Greece and Rome, they were were slaveholding societies, and that um, the founders somehow thought that they could take a pass on that, Mm -hmm. uh, that they didn't critique that, and nor the cost of empire, the cost in the ruins of empire. And so uh, there's a way in which the study of classics can be used to be complicit with that. Hmm. But, but uh, you have to understand it to even know that. Um, I, you know, if you would, I, I'd like for you to speak to some of the intrinsic skills that that are potentially imparted through um, a study of the classics? Um, What classics, what we focus on so much in teaching our students is the value of close reading. You know, slowing down, paying close attention, and always know that you're reading in the context. Because, um, well, just as contemporary music often uh, refers one to another of uh, Greek and Latin literature often grew out of a specific tradition and a, and a, a dense tradition uh, that they expected their readers to be able to follow. 
So it's it's a matter of the more you know, the more you understand that you when you slow down and read carefully and pay attention to the argument, that really is a skill that enriches your reading of that text, but enriches your reading of every other text. Well, what what you, what you just said uh, sounds to me as uh, uh, everything that's antithetical about our public discourse. When you use those two words, slow down, it just seems, <laughs> <laughs> it seems to me that so much of our public discourse is a a, a rush to judgment, vo- void of any other context in which I'm hearing you say that the classics demand that you look at other variables beside. Um, just the linear scope uh, of the issue du jour. That that's helpful, right? It, it, uh, in best practice, yes. Of course, we know that the ancients didn't necessarily do that. There's, which is which is the thing that's so interesting. In Thucydides, we have the story that when um, the Athenians had conquered uh, the people of Mytilene. Uh, they sent word back and said, what do we do now? And one of the, the a Cleon, one of the notoriously braggadocio speakers says, I think we kill all the men and sell all the women into children in slavery. And so they sent off the, the ship to carry that word. Well, the next day at the assembly, someone else spoke and said, wait, these were our allies once. If, our, if we treat our allies like this, uh, or if we treat anyone who's fighting us like this, won't they just fight all the harder? Uh, and they sent, so that ship caught up with the, the messengers, and they didn't have to to bear that un uh, that brutal word. But yes, yes, we can look at the ancients and say, yeah, look, a quick rush to judgment is something you're going to regret. Uh, um. Talk uh, to talk to me about the role of virtue uh, in understanding the classics. Um, well, of course, that's that's an, another vexed issue. I know I'm not doing. <laughs> no. I, I'm not following your your leads here. No, you're doing. You're, no, you're you're doing fine. That's the whole purpose. I mean, some of these things don't yeah. have an easy answer or or or, or a, a correct answer. So you're, you're fine. Yeah, and. And because we also are pilloried by by people, even within the profession, who say you're you're just whitewashing uh, what we've always done. Uh, we've always looked on these things with with um, as somehow exemplary when they weren't, right? So yeah, so I'm 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 backing and filling against that. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, lots of the cor- the discourse on virtue. Uh, comes from the philosophical tradition in Greece and in Plato, most particularly Aristotle. Um, and then when uh, Cicero very, very deliberately reinterpreted it for the, the Roman people um, and pondering, you know, this it's interesting to think about a world in which you before philosophy, right? When what you did was what everybody around you did, that it was it was family and cultural traditions. 
and then someone like Plato and perhaps others we don't know, stepping away and saying, wait, is that an example of virtuous living? Is that what the just individual does? Um, is there, there not a contrast here? And that's what he, the what he has Socrates saying all the time, you know, challenging these accepted traditions. And that is absolutely fundamental uh, to so much that's come afterward. You know, the, through the Renaissance and uh, then taking it east in the Arabic tradition, so much of this um, decision to step away and look and think about what virtue means. Um, yeah, all through the Roman tradition, the early, early medieval church, it's, it's a fascinating thing. The answers aren't always the same, but the impulse to do, to question it is, uh, seems to come from this source. Just giving your last answer, our, our, and we, when we look at the American narrative, whether it's um, slavery, women's suffrage, uh, LGBT equality, aren't we, in a sense, uh, rethinking or uh, 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 coming back to this notion of virtue? I agree that we are. No matter uh, what the question is, often it is a question about what is the virtuous question. And uh, partly it changes because partly we know more than we once did. Uh, just as in science, we know more than we once did. That once uh, the question of uh, emancipation came to be on the horizon and white Americans stepped back and said, yes, these are human beings whom we have enslaved. When black Americans became voting citizens, we can no longer say complacently that uh, the whole project of enslavement was something virtuous. We have to acknowledge that it wasn't. No matter what the intentions of the individuals were, that was not a project. Similarly with women, um, that now that we have seen what women's uh, enfranchisement and the greater role that women play in the world, we can no longer say that forbidding them to work outside the home, um, making it impossible for them to vote, we can no longer say that is a virtuous project because we stand back and say we were uh, cramping, um, uh, infantilizing legitimate citizens. I'm speaking with Professor Mary Pendercraft, chair of the Wake Forest University's Department of Classics, about the role of of, of classics um, in, in our in our in our not only in in education, higher education, but also just its influence in in, in our overall public discourse. Uh, Professor Pendercraft, when the poet Shelley wrote, "We are all Greeks. Our laws, our literature, our religion, our arts have their roots in Greece." Is that a, is that still a valid observation in your view? In part, it is. When Shelley was writing, he was writing to educated Englishmen, right? And that was 
much truer than it would be if he said it to a crowd on the street in London today, right? That there are many more sources of the, our common culture today, but it is still the case that the influence from the Greeks uh, through the Romans is integral to uh, so much of what we take for granted. Uh, one, one, one of the benefits, uh, my view, of, of understanding and appreciating uh, the classics is the commonality of the human condition. In other words, we may do things quicker, faster, more efficiently because of technology, but we're st we, st we, st we still possess these worn factions of greed, envy, along with hope and joy. And, and talk about that, if you would, um, that, that while we do it differently, I mean, th those fundamental things are still present with us. That is what drew me so uh, deeply into classics. I started Greek as a freshman in many years ago, 50 years ago. Uh, but hearing words from centuries away that spoke to my feelings or my experience when was just exhilarating that human beings change over time, or we can't assume that that um, Plato, uh, Plato wasn't us, Plato wasn't me, but yet he could say things that with which I resonated. And that is a skill or, or an understanding that we need in this world, that we can differ on many things. But there are, are many things uh, which are important that we hold in common. Hmm. The question of, of what is virtue, for instance. All right. Well, you know, on, on, on that note, we often hear uh, almost ad nauseum, we need to bring civics back to high school, which I've always found somewhat humorous. I mean, not to say we shouldn't bring civics back to high school, but I, I would argue that we need civics throughout the, throughout the culture, not just high school students, but a lot of adults need it as well. Mm -hmm. but, but at the same time, if we don't, if we're talking about civics void of the influence uh, of certain, at least certain classical traditions have on civics, um, are we in, a, in effect missing part of the point? Well, that's a good question, uh, because I think it is valuable to know history and to know that, uh, that say, our Constitution was uh, dramatically influenced by Greece and Rome. But our Constitution, through the amendments, has changed. And it's changed because uh, what our vision is has not been the same as the founders in every way, nor was theirs the same as the Romans that, whom they were interpreting. And the process of interpretation is what's so important. And to know that it's been going on uh, century after century is, um, is, is a, a weighty thing to know, kind of exhilarating that uh, that there's tr there is something here 
that we continue to talk about, that we are part of that dialogue. I, I teach a um, civics intensive, um, and I always begin the intensive uh, on civics with uh, an, under, uh, an understanding sort of rooted in Montesquieu, an understanding of civic virtue. And I recently had someone say to me, you know, when you first talked about civic virtue, I just thought this was this cute little phrase you picked up somewhere. But he goes, but now as I'm reading these documents, the Federalist Papers of Constitution, and I'm hearing the discourse, I'm seeing the role of civic virtue um, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our daily lives. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying to you, um, while some of that, some of that history is important and it's different, but at the same time, there are certain things like virtue that we should have a grasp on. Right, and that uh, as, as members of a civic body, we have responsibilities. I, I think that is... Well, that's the, the interesting thing, looking back to Cicero, for instance, saying this, and he was talking to wealthy men who actually could make a difference. And in our context, those responsibilities are still true, and they're true for all of us, that we, we make decisions based on the common good. We do what is is good for the community before we do what is good for ourselves. Yeah, that absolutely, absolutely understanding that and seeing how the discourse is widening to take us all in, that makes it all the more exciting. We are not in Rome. We don't have to just wait for sons of senators to do, uh, do something and hope it helps us, right? We can we can participate in making those decisions. Hmm. What, what what is your response to those who see the classics, especially as it, as it relates to Western civilization, as merely the study of, of dead white men? Dead white men, excuse me. And I guess the subtext yeah. of that being that it has no relevance. How, how how do you respond to that? Well, there are lots of responses that we are all living in the world that grew out of that, no matter who we are. They are all dead. Um, I'm not sure they were all white. Um, they were, their prejudices were, but they're not necessarily our prejudices. They were, as um, the Romans had uh, as much contempt for most of the Gauls and the Germans as they did for people from North Africa. Um, but there's no way around it. There, we are living in a world that we inherited uh, from them and their successors. On the, and I teach literature and the impact of the literature on people's people of different traditions is amazing. Think of um, Omeros out of the, the Caribbean, or uh, Romare Bearden uh, from Charlotte, like me, um, using, reinterpreting uh, uh, the Odyssey because he says it's a great story. Uh, so the, the influence of the literature is, can be enriching and reinterpreted in many, many contexts. If there is 
a devaluation on the importance on the classics. Isn't the next logical step uh, a core, a core, I guess, corresponding step is that that would have a negative impact on the culture? I think so. I think so. Um, I, and I think it's a part of the devaluation of humanities and of language education in general. Um, I think there are, are different factors or additional factors in play with, with classics. Um, you know, the the, AAA, the Congress asked the AAAS to produce a paper on America's languages. Oh, five years ago it came out. And just on pragmatic understandings, we're not teaching enough language to make our industries uh, competitive. So if we're not teaching basic language skills, we're not teaching literature. We're not teaching philosophy. We're not giving people as rich an understanding of the world as we could give them. And, and so, I, I, would, I would, if I could just add to that, then that that um, uh, gets into what I what I these, these are my words what I consider the 21st century N word being nuance that we sort of throw nuance um, out the window and you can't have a democratic society that's not thinking critically that has an aversion to nuance. Right, <laughs> right. What can I say? That it is it is. Um, is the study of the humanities. And I'll, I will say that classics has an integral part in that study, an important part. But it, that's where we, we learn to read and assess and evaluate. And we learn to see a bigger picture, right? That not just, uh, 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 immediate clip shots, you know, not just what what's in the the viewfinder of our phone. Uh, we can see a say, oh yeah, history. We know this. Again, I'm speaking with Professor Mary Pendercraft, Chair of Wake Forest uh, University Department of Classics, talking about the importance of uh, classic education. And 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 since we are in sometimes it seems to me in the vice grip of of of, of a linear culture at times there there is also the belief that if if uh let's say my son or daughter come home and said hey dad i'm gonna major in classics that i will um then immediately go have a wake because i'm because of the belief that my child is not employable respond to that please <laughs> We hear that a lot, you know. <laughs> yeah, why, why should my child take Latin? That is a dead language. Well, we had um, an online meeting with some alums not long ago, and talking about what they've done, the people on that call were did not go on to be classicists, but they had all majored in classics or, or minored in classics. And one woman said... You know, I took German to get a job. She's still employed by a German company. Said, but I took classics for my soul. I said, yes, yes. Um, it's not going to make you less employable. I mean, statistically, the the numbers that um, our uh, office of uh, placement, I've forgotten the name 
professional, whatever. Yeah, our our students are, are all employed. We're in school, we're doing whatever they want to. But um, yeah, it's not gonna, gonna make you less well employed. And it there are many things that'll give you step up on. The, this ability to read and interpret and think. Right. But, but but in a larger sense, isn't some of that isn't some of that pushback um, sort of the desire to make college and universities a singular mission, um, which which really is the antithesis, in my view, of of the importance of, of college and universities It's not just a singular mission for employment. Oh, you're talking to the choir here. Um, <laughs> yeah, we will say, is it trade school or, or is it um, to, to nurture the mind? And in some ways, that, that's a, a question of privilege, right? Can you afford to, who can afford to send your students, your children uh, to spend money and not earn it for four years? Because uh, that really is a privilege to be able to do that. On the other hand, if if no one in the world is learning these things, uh, boy, will our experience become flattened and distorted. And we're handing it over uh, to people whose motives or whose understanding we don't know. Mm. So... Just following up on that, if we question the role uh, of the classics in the 21st century, just as we, you and I talked earlier about, you know, reformulating, you know, the notion of virtue for, for, for each generation, are we not in a sense, if we're raising the question about the legitimacy of classics, sort of reformulating an ancient argument between linear and objective versus open and subjective? Is that, is that sort of like this war in, ongoing war and tension uh, when we talk about the classics? I think it is. I think it is. Um, uh, what What's practical knowledge? Well, and, and even in antiquity, this was a class-based issue, right? What should the children of workers learn versus the children of rulers learn. Um, and I think in the American democracy, we shouldn't ask those questions. We should say that everyone should learn both, right? That, that we shouldn't restrict one kind of knowledge to just one group of people. That, and as you say, that starts from the very beginning, that students should be learning something about civics, learning about history, learning about reading text from the time they begin to read. But yes, we shouldn't pretend that college uh, is trade school. Well, I, I just, I just got to ask, uh, can, can you pinpoint uh, or have any idea when education almost became exclusively a linear pursuit for future employment? When did that happen? That is a good question. And I honestly don't know, but I wonder if regrettably the GI Bill isn't part of it. When suddenly um, education became more more accessible, um, but I do not know. Hmm. Well, I, I like the GI Bill response. Uh, yeah. How does 
uh, a, a, a medium, a philosophy that has been taught for multiple centuries stay relevant in an education age that's immersed more in iPads and apps and, and that's career-driven uh, and uh, where objectivity is, 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 is essentially the coin of the realm. I mean, how does classic survive in that environment? Well, there are two different things going on. Uh, uh, iPods and uh, screens can be uh, put to use as, as this year of, of distance teaching has made clear. Um, one of the things I have loved is uh, the lecture series, say, in London, where you had to be there in person in general to hear these lectures, suddenly are available around the world because they're being broadcast, because no one can be there in person. So uh, that fact and the fact of digital humanities using um, those digital tools to make maps and reconstruct cities and reconstruct uh, archaeology, that's one thing. On the other hand, let the tendency to dismiss deep thought is absolutely deleterious, uh, no matter what's going on. Uh, what else is going on? Um, I think that, well, we need, I say this as, as a parent and a grandparent, we need to start funding uh, schools better so that they can meet the needs of our students and not just meet them, give them encouragement to go farther, uh, give them opportunities, not just to come to school because that's the place where they can get breakfast and lunch. We need to, which is an important function for schools these days, but uh, they need to be places where you can get breakfast and lunch and think about things you've never thought about before. Um, Howard University, one of the nation's leading historically black institutions of higher learning recently announced um, their plans to dissolve the classics department. They also stated that many of the classes taught within the division would be absorbed in other liberal arts departments. My question to you, are you concerned that this could be a trend for other colleges and universities citing financial reasons that might view the classics as prime uh, for the uh, financial chopping block? Oh, it already is. Um, I, I can think of two right offhand that were um, founded as traditional liberal arts school. Kinesius College in New York, uh, founded by Jesuits. Um, Carthage College in Michigan are already dropped the classics. Um, Calvin College, also in Michigan, uh, for the first time has no Greek classes on the book until next year maybe it is an ongoing trend it is not classics is getting the worst of it but other languages as well mm -hmm. and art history uh things that look superfluous uh yeah it is a real problem the, well, the, thing, that is re the thing that is really problematic about howard is as i say there 
there's a lot of energy in the profession going into reinterpreting our understanding or reinventing our understanding of the classics as a profession in which all voices are welcome and we don't just see the the point of view of this the slave masters the enslavers but look at everyone well howard is the place that is preeminent has a student body who can can teach that learn that with authenticity in a way that um not every place can i mean they they can speak that is just a great place to do that teaching and have that teaching uh, percolate into the the conversation. And, and whether it's whether it's Howard or, or, or Carthage, as you mentioned earlier, uh, uh, it, it's, it, it goes back to our, our, our previous conversation about your take, your 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 devaluate, your devaluing, I should say, the role. Of the citizens, so if college is just as trade school as you call it, then I guess it doesn't matter. But if it's more than that, then we're not. A, then we're just. Then colleges and universities are simply saying this role about what you should be as a citizen is really not that important. Well, or as a citizen, or as a consumer, ah. you might learn a lot about what it means to be a good consumer. Um, you might learn, you, you will certainly learn things in sociology about being a citizen, whether you will learn uh, as much as you might when you could contrast it to different things, right? That uh, some of the social science, the, the social sciences, I'll be fair, uh, teach us a lot about being a citizen. But it's not the same. It's not, uh, doesn't go back and, or doesn't necessarily go back and look at first first principles. Why do we agree that this is unjust? Mm -hmm. What is it about that definition, unjust? Uh, how do we arrive at that? And so they're different. They can be absolutely complementary things to study. Uh, but they're not the same. They're not identical. Oh, and and you just made me think of um, since I as I shared with you earlier before our conversation started, read, I, reading uh, Plato's Apology, and, and when Socrates says the unexamined life is not worth living, and we could apply that to the Republic as well. If, if oh yes, yes, if we don't stop and think, what is it we want to do, um, and is uh, do we want families to be able to raise their children, to have the money to feed their children, um, or do we want families to have daycare? Do we want families to have ed, um, medical edu medical benefits? Yeah, there's one place in, in the Apology where Socrates, or Plato makes Socrates, uh, question his examiner. Um, and said, you say that I'm corrupting the youth. Said, well, the people are corrupted. Do they make those around them better or worse? And if they make them worse, um, why would I want to live around them? And he said, well, you're, I know you're doing it. And he said, well, do, um, 
other people do that? And he said, no. And he said, this group of people do it. And he said, no. He said, so I am the only one in the, the city of Athens who is making the youth worse. And I do that knowing that living with worse people is bad for me. Well, we stop there. We let our fellow citizens live in uh, difficult, to say the least, difficult circumstances when there are ways to step in. And yet we think somehow our lives are going to be better. It doesn't make sense. See, I, I just think what we just did was a great um, uh, uh, public broadcast for, for the, the role of the classics because you just um, raise a, a, a litany of rhetorical questions and starting with, do we, do we want families to eat? Do we, do we, how do we want to live? <laughs> which are all, which are all questions of virtue and you never mention virtue, which are all issues of virtue. Yeah. And, and then, and then you ended with this, uh, nice little soliloquy going back to Plato's apology. And, and again, how these things impact our 21st century existence. Well done, professor. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Good listening. <laughs> um, one last thing, um, because I, cause what I don't want to do, I don't want to sound like all of this is, is should be on the backs of institutions of higher learning. And um, this whole notion of classics, be, um, the issue of, of devaluing it, begins long before students, um, say, in your case, reach the Wake Forest campus. Um, can we correct that at the lower level, or, or are we just doomed to a fate um, that's inevitable. Oh, I think we can connect. Cor- excuse me. We can correct that at lower levels. Absolutely. Um, and to do that, we have to make sure all our children have adequate education. Middle class children get adequate education mostly, but so many children are just hanging on by by uh, their fingernails. Um, and when teachers have to to start with the alphabet over and over again. Don't we make the assumption that, um, uh, and no, I mean, uh, nothing derogatory, but we make the assumption that STEM is the answer for everybody. I, I used to always say when I was in school, if, if the, if the, um, question had a definitive answer i was in trouble i needed uh on the other hand <laughs> as part as part of <laughs> as part of my response <laughs> but it just can't be math and science for everyone yeah. right uh, well and even I've, I've got the beginners in latin and well we'll look at a sentence and i'll say well you know that could be a subjunctive or it could be a future and there's no way to tell right right um so yes, yes, um, and m- actually, STEM is probably more nuanced than most people think when they're choosing it. That uh, people, as we've seen just this year, the fact that our knowledge about the COVID nineteen virus, our knowledge evolved. Uh, people were dismissing science. That. Scientists don't know. Well, of course, they can't, they can't know everything. And that is the nature of science that is only contingent. But, but yeah, but if you decide to, to 
just do a superficial study of it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that could be it. But yeah, that stem in the whole thing. You need a context for why it's important. Professor Mary Pendergraf, Chair of Wake Forest University Department of Classics, thank you uh, for joining me today thank on you. the Public Morality. I, I hope I didn't uh, uh, bore you too much. <laughs> no, no, thank you very much. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at Byron at publicmorality.org. That's Byron, B-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Twitter. The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. Once again, I want to thank Elvin Jenkins and Michael Burns at WJAB in Huntsville, Alabama, for allowing us to broadcast the public morality at their studios. The public morality is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. In the words of Martin Luther King, we may have come on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. For all of us at The Public Morality, I'm Byron Williams.